Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb, and uh, just a pretty short intro to this one. I've just had a catch up with uh, JD Jonathan Downey from Hospitality Union and uh, London Union. So JD is the guy behind uh, Milk and Honey, uh, Street Feast, uh, Dinorama, uh, and all sorts of amazing venues uh, up in London. And uh, wanted to have a quick catch up with him. He's also been sort of uh, been the voice, I suppose, of some of the independent hospitality sector in the last couple of months from setting up his little whatsapp group that became a very big whatsapp group and now has a website and is doing all sorts of stuff to uh, help represent the views of independent hospitality to government and has been behind uh, specifically i guess national timeout so this idea on nine months rent free for the hospitality sector and doing that in a way that has some sort of government support but also uh, works for the landlords as much as possible and works for the tenants and is probably realistically the the, the most uh, biggest thing after furloughing that can really help provide some sort of glimpse of hope for the future of hospitality in this country before the next quarter's rent is due. So with the legislation and the regs changing all of the time, I wanted to have a catch up with JD uh, and just get the latest on, on that. And um, and then we just chew the fat a little bit around what the future might look like and, you know, masks and screens uh, alfresco dining you know whether we can relax the regulations for people with outside space before inside space what that might look like across the country so because it's very time specific i wanted to get it out same day so uh, yeah please have a listen i hope you enjoy it uh, as always if you can support the podcast go to humansofhospitality.co.uk click on the patreon link and you can make a donation via the tip jar to keep us on the air uh, or sign up for our weekly newsletter okay thanks so much enjoy the episode and i'll be back with you soon Okay, Jonathan Downey, thank you so much for coming back onto uh, the podcast. Hugely appreciated. Uh, where are you in the world, JD? Are you up in your office or are you uh, roaming the streets? I'm in my new home office, which is in Dalston. And uh, we're desperately trying to get out of the lease on our head office uh, in Shoreditch at the moment. Our landlord there is just not doesn't seem to understand the, the way the world's changed. Our rents and the property rates, business rates there are about £200,000 a year. That's a cost we could well do without. And so at the moment, I'm just working from home on my kitchen table with my business partner, Rick. Uh, another colleague, Harry, comes around from time to time. And then we've got two or three other people sort of working remotely, occasional visits. But generally, uh, I'm, you know, pretty good uh, position, actually, because I've got a nice little garden, got a gym out the back. Um, Harry, one of the guys I work with, is into his CrossFit. And so we do this Harry's boot camp five days a week which is great every morning. Amazing. And I just did yoga for an hour today as well. So feeling all right. After, That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, after a healthy salad lunch and some watermelon for dessert. Aww. There you Stop. go. That's not the JD that we know. Where's the cocktail quaffing kind of, uh, yeah, beer swill? I thought you looked well when I saw you doing an interview online the other day. I thought, yeah, <laughs> you're, look, you're looking fit and healthy, which is good because you've somehow become the sort of uh, national, you know, representative of, of, of independent hospitality, I suppose, somehow, maybe slightly accidentally, maybe slightly on purpose in the last few months. So so thanks for what you're doing. Um, since we last had a catch up, uh, when we did that, hospitality union didn't necessarily uh, exist in it in its current guise. Can you just talk a little bit about that and what made you set it up and who, who the members are and what's, what it's for? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you say a representative. I mean, accidentally and to a large extent, regrettably. And I don't think, I don't feel as though I represent anybody. I just feel like I am almost like a funnel for the views of a lot of people. So, you know, for instance, I asked, I posted something on the WhatsApp group. So we set up this WhatsApp group. I set up this WhatsApp group on the 16th of March, which was the same day that Boris had said to everyone to avoid pubs, clubs and theatres and other social venues. And it was just in the, in the afternoon of that. It was in the morning of that day. And prior to that, I'd just been texting, individually texting, WhatsApping all my mates and people in the industry that I knew. And it was just taking me too long. So I put them all in one group. I think I invited 250 people in the end, uh, just people I knew in the industry. And everybody joined and everybody stayed. And then it grew to another group. And we've now got over 3,000 people. And uh, most of them are either known to me or known to existing members, or they've kind of been semi-verified by my colleague, Julia, as being owners, business owners in hospitality senior operators or they work in the press or property or PR or something or you know recruitment or something related to our industry and and so as I say over 3,000 people in there now I get hundreds of messages sometimes thousands of messages each week 
loads of feedback. Um, I think, you know, there's, a, there's an organization called the Independent Restaurant Coalition that was set up in the US in the immediate aftermath of what's been happening with this virus. And we're a little bit similar to that. I think we represent a broader spectrum of uh, hospitality os- operators than perhaps anyone else here or elsewhere, uh, just because it's a sort of a ragtaggle group of, you know, individuals and uh, and others who are all, all interested in what's going on and, 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 you know, want to share and stay up to date with things. So it's been really useful for me to hear everyone's position and opinions, and I try and cut out and edit down a lot of it and then just trying to pass it on as a kind of like very u- unique, I suppose, voice, but also to some extent unified voice and uh, when I think I'm about to say something that could be controversial, I'll usually sense check it with the group. And, uh, you know, I get loads of messages back saying, no, I think you're right. Or, well, I wouldn't do that. I don't agree with that. And then, you know, I'll tone it down a bit or I'll, et cetera. So I think, yeah, a good independent voice is, is, I think, is the right way of saying it. Although I don't really feel like I'm representing anybody else directly. I think if I did... I would have to behave differently. I, you know, I, I want to be allowed to say what I think I, you know, is the right thing to say. I want to be allowed to take positions on things and be opinionated if need be. You know, uh, I'm not some kind of organization or body that needs, has a reputational risk issue or needs to be controlled or considered in some way or needs to have a consensus, you know. So it's, it's a bit more, uh, uh, of a free, independent uh, voice, I suppose, in that respect. Yeah, it feels a little bit not, not rebellious. Is probably the wrong word. <clears throat> Excuse me, but yes, yeah, definitely got a bit of personality, and I think I think represents, you know, the sector well. Because you know, the the other side of our sector, I suppose, is the you know the, the giant globals, you know, the Hiltons and the Compasses and, and and the big guys. But it feels like a much more, um, yeah, smaller operators, smaller owners who are, who are really in the. Th- thicker things i suppose with this pandemic and maybe the financial implications are you know perhaps more personal than just having you know big boards of shareholders i'm sure there's there's a mixed group in there um but as well as the whatsapp group which has been brilliant and and you are a conduit for for sort of fast information and your access to um some of the press contacts and and getting the name out in the press has been brilliant but also built a website also have been writing to the government you you wrote to them i think national timeout was one of your key campaigns you had something like 20 signatures on that yeah. letter that, that represented a lot of um a lot of people and you've started doing video so has it morphed into more than you expected it to i suppose when you started as a whatsapp chat yeah i, I did i i think we became much more of a campaign in sort of like thing that wasn't again originally the plan it was just more of a like a loud voice uh we've also uh i, I think looked at ways at getting a bit more structure to it because i was just being overwhelmed with too much messaging and requests and, and people were at the beginning of all this people were terrified you know before the JRS before some of these other measures business owners were just terrified because they had the most to lose you know if you've got one cafe or two pubs you're losing everything if we don't get some of these things sorted out it's not just a question of a loss a dropping revenue or a you know a reduction in dividend or a you know or a bonus you know loss of bonus these people are losing their entire livelihoods. And I was really motivated from the outset to save jobs. You know, that's what was kind of getting me out of bed earlier than I've ever been in my life before. And uh, it was really stimulating, I think. So um, it's uh, become a bit more structured and a bit more organized. It's still really just me. We've got, I've got Gemma Bell helping with the PR. Um, you know, but she's got lots of other things to do as well. Matt Sanders was working with me for a while, but that, uh, he's had to go uh, ultra part-time now. He can do a few hours a week. Um, it's all been completely funded by me at the moment. I think I'm about uh, £35,000 in the hole with all the graphic design, the video stuff, uh, Gemma, Matt's time, etc. cetera. Uh, so I need to think about how long I can maintain that for, but um, I'm not worried about that at the moment. Um, I just want to try and get this national timeout sorted and a deal done on rents before... Uh, you know, the rent apocalypse at the end of June happens. 
Yeah, perfect. Well, there, there were some really big things, and, and some of them, you know, with your voice and others, were achieved really quickly. So, the, you know, the furlough scheme was an absolute mm. uh, game changer. We had the uh, the sort of yeah moratorium, I guess, on on rent and insolvency. But let's start with time out because that's one of the reasons I wanted to get an update. So, you know, you've you've been uh, particularly good, I suppose, at turning what was a very loose idea a couple of months ago into uh, you know a thing. It's got a it's got a strap line. There's been a lot of people now using that sort of national time out. You've had a lot of uh, very famous chefs and restaurateurs all back in it so it, it looks like it's got some huge momentum what's the latest and what are your sort of levels of confidence i suppose on getting a result of that yeah i think we've been really successful at getting that national time out as like the bus that everybody gets behind and pushes you know and that was kind of like the plan from the outset because i was concerned look, i knew we needed to do something on rent and i was concerned that there were too many different interests too many conflicting interests within our industry. And there were going to be so many different requests and messages. And it was all going to get confused. And it was going to get left to somebody in Treasury to come up with an idea that wasn't going to be enough and wasn't really quite right. So I was really keen to get something out early as like an umbrella, as like a banner behind which we can all march, chanting national time out, national time out, without really specifying in any great detail what that might be. So... I thought, and also national timeout is not controversial. So it's easy to support for people. Listen, I'm calling for a national timeout. We take a pause, we sit down, we agree a deal, blah, blah. That's just, that seems like good sense. We're going to sit down and sort this out. I'm behind you. Yeah. Beneath that, I then suggested that as a minimum, what hospitality businesses, what most hospitality businesses, what almost all hospitality businesses need is nine months national rent free. And we'll help landlords by backing that with a nine-month debt repayment rate. That's what I'm saying. Now, not every hospitality business, especially those that have been open and trading through uh, the whole of the lockdown with takeaway and delivery, especially some of the chains that are opening already, you know, with the drive-throughs, et cetera, not all of these businesses will need nine months national rent-free. So I knew that at the outset, but this is our opening shot. This is our opening request. You know, this is a negotiation with government regarding tenants and landlords. And so I think uh, I'm glad we've got National Time Out now on the agenda. It's on, you know, it's online, it's everywhere, it's on TV, it's in print, it's, you know, it's become the thing. And some, there's been some great big voices in our industry saying it. I, I loved listening to Al Murdoch, CEO of Burger King, mention it three times on Newsnight, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's good that that's happening. And now we need to get to grips with the detail of what it means. I thought that Treasury would come back with some issues and some uh, questions, some concerns. And lots of that has been fed back to me informally in the way that a lot of things were dealt with uh, a few weeks ago with the, with the JRS, with the lease forfeiture moratorium. I've kind of got this informal, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of feedback system where, and, and I, I respond to that, but that's just not happened because, and the reason is rent, uh, rent solution has not been a priority for government these last few weeks. That's changed in the last few days and it, it is becoming, it will be the new priority in the next few weeks because something has to be done. Otherwise, you know, 50% of businesses and 2 million jobs will be lost. So um, I'm confident I'm extremely confident. I'm very confident. I couldn't really be more confident. I'm, I guarantee something has to be done. It's self-evident, isn't it? Something has to be done by government to sort a rent solution needs to be delivered. Otherwise, too many jobs are lost. That's, government won't allow that to happen. What that looks like, we don't know yet. I've got a very good idea of what it could look like, and now it's a negotiation. And I could, if I could just say also, Mark, the negotiation is not being helped by some of the new voices that have been coming into this conversation recently with their thoughts about what things could look like. You know, we don't need 20, 30, 50 different people negotiating th this deal for us. We need one, two, or three. We're all on the same page, okay? And I'm included in those one, two, or three. And UK Hospitality and Kate Nichols is included in those one, two, or three. And maybe some other people too. But we all need to get behind the same bus and there needs to be one lead negotiator and we need to push for the best and most reasonable deal, the most achievable deal we can 
that does the best for the most. And uh, that is what I'm trying to do over the next few weeks. Good. And, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have a catch up with you because it's been driving me bonkers as well. You know, there's, there's obviously various localized kind of WhatsApp groups or, or membership groups. And I'm in a couple down here in the South and, and you see these conversations, even this morning, people were kind of putting out there, you know, we're we going to arrange a, a meeting together so that we can you know go to the council, for example, as a sort of a, a tenant or as a landlord to a number of us and start negotiations. And, and sometimes you feel like, you know, are you missing this? Surely, surely our best hope at the moment is to all stand behind this national timeout and not splinter and not go off and do all different things you know i had somebody else writing about you know our, our best case scenario is to get you know three months 50 percent or three months free and you're sure every time i'm kind of like national time out national time out it's being worked on so i think maybe people are starting to panic because we're coming closer to the next quarter and, and they're feeling that they need to go out and negotiate personally i'm kind of like, how, how on earth do you negotiate currently you know for anything that's that's you know worse than than uh nine months because we don't know what reopening is going to look like you know if if the regs come out that say that you know it, it definitely is two meters between each table and you are going to learn lose 70 percent of your covers it's so unviable that what's the point of negotiating a a rent reduction at this stage was surely at that point if you can't even open the doors you know it has to be nine months rent free so so i share that and uh yeah thanks for continuing to bang the drum the biggest question you always get is is how do the landlords cope with this can you can you just talk a little bit about that well it's quite difficult to explain with words and without pictures but um I, i've i'm produced an illustration and i'll try and talk through it now but i'm i can't guarantee it'll make any sense well if you so, send it to me i'll pop it in the show yeah. notes as well but yeah talk through it um basically if, if you're most landlords certainly on commercial premises are borrowed against the security of the premises they're letting to hospitality businesses. Typically, that's about 60 to 70% of the value of the premises. So if you look at, for instance, as an example, a building, a site that's let to a restaurant or a bar or a pub operator for £120,000 a year, and we ask for nine months rent-free, on the face of it, that's a 90000 £90, of rent, of income, that landlord has lost, except it's not. Because um, he will have borrowed, that landlord, he or she, that company will have borrowed uh, a significant amount of money on depending on the value of that. And they're probably paying, I don't know, uh, £80,000 a year of interest secured on those premises that they're getting £120,000 of income from. So if you give that landlord a nine-month repayment break, that's £60,000 of interest they don't have to pay for the nine months. So they're not losing out on the uh, £90,000. They're losing out on £90,000 minus £60,000. They're only losing out on £30,000. Okay, And that's fundamentally what people who are suggesting that tenants need to share the pain and that we need to find a middle ground don't understand. Those are the maths of most commercial premises that hospitality operators, uh, you know, uh, operating. So we're not, they're not missing out on their 90,000. They're missing out on 30,000. And then you go further up the chain, the bank is also taking a margin and it will take a hit, a small hit. And the people who provide the money to the bank, that's deposit, people who put bank deposits, bondholders, the Bank of England, they'll be taking their slice. And it's about spreading it all out. And that's been the plan from the outset that I've not been very good at communicating because it is quite complicated. And I have tried to talk this through with some very big brains, including some Harvard economics graduates. And it still is quite hard to get your head around, which is why I've tried to turn it into an illustration or a kind of like an example. Um, and I think if the penny drops on that for a lot of people, and it's, uh, uh, then I think and government especially, then I think more people will get behind the idea and more people will see that actually nine months rent-free or something not too far off from it is quite achievable and it's reasonable. But, you know, more importantly, it's what's needed for these hospitality businesses to survive. And if they don't survive, they won't carry on being rent-paying tenants much longer, you know. 
Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, and uh, and it seems pretty clear. But yeah, send the illustration. Um, there was also this point, and are you still referring to this about the idea of adding the nine months onto the end of people's leases? Has that proved more complicated? Or? Yeah, I think again, I think here you have to give the power to the landlord. So if the landlord, and, and again, that idea came from uh, me getting feedback from some of the what the hospitality union WhatsApp group to say some guys had agreed to a six months rent free in return for five years added on to the end of the lease. You know, people are negotiating deals like that individually. So that's one idea. The other idea is, um, and this depends on the length of lease. So, for instance, at my site in Canary Wharf, I think I've got seven years left. I could get nine months rent free, and then I could spread out that nine months or part of it over the remaining term of my lease in the way that, I've just applied for a three-month mortgage repayment break on my house, and that that three months is then spread out over the remaining term of the mortgage, which I think is about eleven years. You know that should, that's manageable. You know, uh, so there's things like there's different ways of doing it, and I think you just you you give that option to the landlord to decide what they would prefer, whether they prefer the extension to the lease, or whether they prefer it to be spread out over the term of the lease. Dinorama, for instance, I don't want it spread out over the remaining terms of the, my lease there because I've only got two years and uh, we're paying £450,000 a year rent. So I don't know what nine, nine twelfths of uh, £450,000 is, but I don't want that spread out over the next two years of the lease because it's just... It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's too much. So, you know, there are, there, are, there are edge cases and there are details that, you know, it would be too boring to go into. Uh, now, Mark, but you know there there are ways that we can deal with everything. Pretty much, we can deal with everything. So, what's your hope or, or strategy with the government then that they that they provide a a sort of um, I suppose a framework for this kind of negotiations where it's almost like look, you've got option A, B, C, or are you hoping that they're going to be very specific, or do you expect people to to negotiate different deals with different landlords? What I would like them to do is like what they did with the JRS and just take the big idea. You know what we're going to do? We're going to put everyone who needs it on furlough and we're going to pay them 80% of their, or a massive percentage of what they would be earning to keep employees next to businesses so that we can reopen and bounce back at some point in the future. That's the big idea, right? This is just the same. That's why I called it a big idea in the letter to the Chancellor. Here's the big idea. Please come up with something. It won't be perfect, but you did a brilliant job with the JRS. Why not do a brilliant job with a national timeout? You know, and in the meantime, we should be campaigning for the best deal we can get, because, not because we're being greedy or we're trying to take advantage, but because this is what we need to keep going. Landlords need us to stay in business. The ones that are kind of up to speed on this, you know, understand that. There are a few absolute fucking idiots who just don't seem to get it and are just holding on and holding on, especially in London where if you know your tenant goes out of business you're probably going to find someone to take over the site especially in central london you know we've seen these people at criterion capital and these dumbwits at um the landlords union that was set up um i don't know if you saw that in the press. i did yeah i presume i presume that was directly aimed at you what a what a bunch of scoundrels and uh, <laughs> kind of like they were like straight out of central casting villains and like weirdos weren't they <laughs> And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, the, I, that's what I would prefer government to do. I think um, what UK hospitality has been asking for is a summit meeting, which is a good idea as long as I'm at it. And uh, I, I don't want, I really don't want, and, I, you know, I, I hesitate to say this, but I have to say this, UK hospitality cannot be negotiating this deal for everybody in who owns a hospitality business in the UK. They cannot be negotiating it. They have got a very, um, a too narrow a remit from their members, from their board and from their council to represent the whole industry. So I, I'm very happy and it's very important that they are there. It's key that they are there, but they cannot be the sole negotiator for everybody in hospitality in the UK. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that won't be the case. Yeah, how is that? I mean, it looks from the outside that you two uh, complement each other very well, I suppose, because I think you represent a slightly different demographic and a different side of the market. Um, is that recognised, and is that relationship sort of healthy? 
I, I think Kate is is great, and I've said it from the outset. I think, uh, and I don't really want to get into what I think about <laughs> everything else to do with UK hospitality. I've I've already said probably a bit more than I want to. I I just you know there's some great people on that council. Uh, I, I I only know one person on the board that is great, and uh, I think what hospitality union is doing is. Uh, raising the profile of our industry in a different way, campaigning in a different way, and also, I hesitate to say represent, but is a voice for, you know, a huge part of a different sector of our industry. You know, we, we're acting for, we're not acting for, so that's the wrong phrase. We are listening to and a megaphone for the tenants of pubs, not the pub codes that own them, you know, and there is a big difference in interest there, you know, not surprisingly, the pub co's didn't want a national timeout, don't want a national rent free, you know, want to take the grant money uh, from tenants that were under the £51,000 rateable value uh, threshold, you know, to pay rents for the period of lockdown. And not every pub co, but a lot of them. And I just think that's bonkers, you know. That was that, that was a very tactful answer. Well done, JD. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm I'm impressed. Um, I think what you represent, as you, and you you alluded to this just now, is that you know some some of the people, and as you say, you don't represent them, but you're a, you're a channel, I suppose, of our our energies and our fears and our aspirations. Is that for many of us, you know, businesses that we've built up over 10, 15, 20 years longer, you know, our, our houses, our cars, you know, these are literally on the line. And with some yeah. of the bigger groups, it is a board of directors and it is a balance sheet and it is some some shares and it's fluctuations in short-term annual profits. But I think where we want you, you know, around that table is that some people don't recognize just how fucked it is and, and that we will not be here, you know, by, by significant margins if we don't get some sort of significant response. And I, I've been the same, you know, when I was telling people in the early days, couple of months ago i think more people are getting it now but i was like look now is not the time to negotiate most of you don't realize just how shagged this industry is going to be yeah. for quite some time and if we don't think bigger it's no good going in and asking for two months or six weeks or something like that it won't be enough you know particularly anywhere in the in the sort of tourist areas you know i'm, I'm all right at the moment I'll, I'll get through the wind through the summer on a personal level but how on earth we get through the winter both in the fact that there won't be so much alfresco space and what will people be thinking but we just cannot make enough money you know in in the summer to get through the winter so i I think if you know that you're you're not going to have anywhere to live and you're that motivated then you want somebody sat around the table who kind of you know yeah shouts a bit louder and and demands a little bit more with a bit more passion i suppose and uh, you do that very well jd yeah okay good i'll carry on doing it then (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you very much um i'm going to move off this this topic very shortly so last one Uh, government response so far on that then does it feel like you're pushing on an open door and they and like you say this is about to be the next priority Yes, I was told that yesterday. So, um, it, and they're all over. I know who's read it. I know who's given it to you know. I, you know, I don't want to mention any names. Uh, uh, you know, I was being fed stuff in the early days, and you know, on on a no names basis, and you're not allowed to mention. And you know, and I, you know, and I just don't want to spoil that channel. No, you know, perfect. Those, it's good enough for me that if you say you know, be patient. I think was channels. the key message. I don't want to compromise yeah. those channels, I, I, and I think you know. And listen, UK hospitality has done an absolutely fantastic job at getting into a directly a direct link and a very influential link into government. We are recognised as a key industry now. We they listen to us, you know, and uh, it's it's been incredibly effective. That merger of uh, the ALMR and whatever else it was that made UK hospitality has had outstanding results, and you can see for yourself in the last few weeks with, you know, what's been achieved. So um, it's, you know, uh, we can all take some comfort from that. I'm just a bit concerned that perhaps um, the the full spectrum of interests isn't being represented. And so I've got to keep my eye open on that and sort of like champion uh, the little guy uh, sometimes when um, uh, perhaps that's, uh, they're not really a priority. 
Absolutely. I think you need both. I think, you know, you, yeah. you complement each other really well. One's, yes. you know, got that, that legacy and that, you know, many years of, uh, of relationship and history and, 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 and to be fair, you know, you're, you're the same. It's much better to, uh, to keep doors open and keep communications open and, and for, you know, for people to work together, but at the same time, um, it's okay to be, to be vocal and, and to press and push a little bit harder than maybe other people wouldn't. I think most people recognize that, isn't it? You, you don't want everybody just to be nodding and smiling in the room. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you're walking the line, uh, well, JD, um, you mentioned yesterday. So, so moving away from uh, from rents, and hopefully we can, you know, maybe catch up again in a, in a few weeks. Or hopefully there'll just be a national solution, and, and that'll be enough for us. But the other thing um, that came out yesterday was the insolvency bill. I know you'd been speaking about that again mm. for the last couple of months. That was going to be the other big issue. Is there's lots of, you know, restaurant groups, hospitality groups who owe people sometimes big amounts of cash, sometimes little bits of cash, and could easily be be pushed into uh, you know insolvency far too early. Uh, I know you read it or, or tried to i know it's complicated but can you give us any kind of update on on how that's progressing and what more needs to be done well i've been shouting and begging for a debt enforcement moratorium since march the 18th and it's been on my list of six things that i thought we needed as an industry to see us through this and it's the only one of the six that they've not come up with yet it's been long promised Uh, i think it's six weeks ago now the business secretary alok sharma said it was coming uh, the delay is because this is going to be permanent registration. This has become UK law for a long time. It's not just the temporary coronavirus bill type legislation. So they've had to get it perfectly right. And so uh, forevermore, a lease forfeiture moratorium is now going to be part of uh, uh, UK law, which is good in one respect. It means that if you are a struggling tenant, uh, and your landlord is threatening to repossess and change the locks, etc. You can now apply for a company moratorium, uh, which will give you 20 days to propose a rescue plan. Uh, that 20 days is extendable if you need more. Uh, it's a court-driven process, which is a bit boring, which means you probably need a lawyer or an insolvency practitioner to help you draft it. And if the uh, rescue plan is reasonable and approved by the court, then it's binding on creditors and there are all sorts of details on that um what it's not though it's not a debt enforcement moratorium and i can't see it as such at the moment and what what i the reason i wanted a debt enforcement moratorium is because that would have given landlords the breathing space they needed the break they needed to provide rent free for tenants so when i initially asked for a lease forfeiture moratorium which i think was number three on my list number four was a debt enforcement moratorium the two needed to go together because that would have enabled, that would have helped landlords agree immediately rent-free deals because of they wouldn't be paying their interest, they wouldn't have to repay their loans. There's be this kind of moratorium on that. And that's not, that's not appeared, as far as I can see, in this new legislation, which is a, a big disappointment. So it's not a full tick on my list. It's kind of like a third of a tick. Uh, and I don't really know where that leaves us come the end of June. When the existing lease forfeiture moratorium runs out, we've expected that that would be extended, you know, since day one pretty much, and we still hope that it will be. I'm a little concerned that they're now bringing in this 20-day company moratorium, which includes a lease forfeiture moratorium, might mean they won't extend the general national moratorium. But um, you know, maybe that's not the case. But if it is the case, that's a big problem for a lot of people. And just to explain what that means, that means that say, let's say we uh, the is it the end the end of June the current yes. one runs out, and that literally then landlords can can turn up what forty eight hours later and and take possession of a premise. Is that how it works it, at the current? It depends on the lease, but it's usually a month or twenty one days later. If you've not paid your rent, if you've been told you need to, then they can just change the locks and repossess the premises. And again, it's a particular problem in cities where you've got valuable premises on high footfall sites. And there's this kind of like this land grab, this rush to take back premises that have had multi-million pound fit outs, et cetera, et cetera. It will also be an issue if you own a beautiful pub in the countryside in Norfolk or in Yorkshire and you've been running it and, you know, taking and making money there and your landlord's a bit of a dick and he loves your business and would love to get hold of it, you know, but you can't pay your rent and they can change the locks and all of a sudden they own it. They stick a manager in and, you know, not only are they getting their rent, they're also getting all the profit that the person who spent the last five, ten, their entire life building up into a brilliant business, you know. Uh, so th- that's what I'm trying to stop. That's why I thought we needed at least forfeiture moratorium in the first place. And it's why we needed extending beyond the end of June 
to at least the end of September so we can agree a national timeout or, or, or ideally till the end of the year. Yeah. And I think this is this is my fear as an operator as well, and I'm sure I reflect lots of other people, is, you know, I've spent a million pounds on a restaurant. It's a great location because it's right on the seafront, and there'd be plenty of people, you know, I, I can't pay my rent at the moment. It's not, it's not a won't pay, it's a can't pay. You know, yeah. we were living on fumes coming out of the winter into our summer season, but the fear is that, you know, the council could easily rent that to somebody else with, with bigger pockets. They could sit there and go, look, e- even if we're not allowed to open for the next two years, you know, I could spend a, a couple of hundred grand just sat on that restaurant, leave it closed, but when it reopens, I've still got a million pound restaurant for yeah. 200k basically yeah and that's uh that's the catastrophic sort of scenario that we're, we're currently facing presumably yes exactly that exactly that same with me i spent two million quid on giant robot in um canary wharf can't pay the rent there uh, you know it's nine hundred thousand pounds a year rent and rates on that site so that's a big a big cost that it's just not worth reopening there this year at all i don't think i don't know how many people are going to go back to work in the office in the tower blocks in um Canary Wharf to make it worthwhile our reopening there, you know, for the next 18 months, maybe, you know, and Milk and Honey, the site I've had in Soho for 18 years, paid nearly 4 million in rent there. Landlord wants 100% of the rent, no rent free, no break, no nothing. Uh, The only concession is that I can pay monthly in advance. So, you know, without the lease forfeiture moratorium, without, you know, all these protections that we've now got, that's all gone. That is a very valuable late license site in Soho where there have been no new late licenses for, I think, 18 years now. Um, I think that that license was probably worth a million and a half, two million quid before this uh, virus hit us, uh, it, you know, and it could all just be taken off me. I, I doubt very much whether we'll reopen Milk and Honey. The only thing I can do there is surrender the license so that my land-grabbing wanker landlord doesn't get the benefit of it, and I'll have to do that, you know, so... I think I think it's you know it's it's heartbreaking when you hear stories like that just because you know milk and honey's got such a phenomenal reputation such a legacy it's been there for so many years you know it, it was so much of the uh, the cocktail revolution I suppose and yeah for things like that to go go under at, at times like this is uh, is a sad state of affairs yeah purely just through a lack of understanding it's not it's not difficult to comprehend the level of the challenge but also like you say the comparative little amount of support that it needs you know nine, nine months rent free and uh, and it could all be so different it's just yeah. bonkers isn't it. Okay. Well, look, I don't want you to start getting uh, any more angry. So let's move a little bit into what reopening might look like. You you mentioned then about yeah whether it will be worth opening at all. So a lot of people are starting to look to that. And is it alfresco dining, for example? Is it is it dining inside? Um, UK Hospitality, I think it was yesterday, brought out their sort of fare for hospitality uh, report. It's a 75-page document. I've not had a chance to read it yet. Have you had a chance or have you got any thoughts on it? Uh, well, I would have liked to have seen it before it was sent into treasury and i'm very disappointed that i wasn't given a chance given a chance to chip in and perhaps comment but um it's gone now i uh i've not read the whole report i haven't got time to read 75 pages um one of the first things i would have said was does it really need to be 75 pages who you know does it really need to be that detailed uh I, i think it's a mistake to be doing things like demonizing salt and pepper pots I know we're trying to help with the idea of removing salt and pepper pots, and I know that the infection can be passed that way, but I do think we've got a massive issue now with this kind of like new project fear of people being frightened of coming to venues, bars, restaurants, wherever it is, and we've got to stop making things like salt and pepper pots dangerous or you know, one-use menus, etc. Yes, they're all helpful, and if a single, if a business wants to do that, if they want to shout about that's what they're doing, they should be allowed to do it. But as far as I think it's just the wrong, I think it's the wrong message. Um, I, I think saying one meter distancing, you know, we'll accept that is is the wrong message. Um, but it's probably this is probably not the time to go into that, Mark. I think um, I think a much better message would be smaller capacity venues shouldn't be required to have any kind of uh, distancing uh, because it's just not. It just doesn't work. And if the R value is down as low as it is in London at the moment, and that uh, continues and or remains the case, if, as we've seen in Austria, which uh, relaxed its lockdown on April the 14th, there's been no uh, second uh, spike, there's been no new wave. If, as it seems, although this does, could change, the virus is just petering out, if, as we seem to know now, the outside uh, seating 
outside infection is is negligible, then why are we talking about one meter distancing outside? You know, why are we talking about one meter distancing if it's a ten person terrace? You know, we're it's I I don't think we should be volunteering these new measures because they will remain with us and a long time and only well-resourced, well-funded organizations are going to be able to survive if you put these in place. So yes, they might work for McDonald's, but no, they don't work for milk and honey, you know? So uh, yeah, I think that then there needs to be an an acknowledgement. And and I think there generally is that, you know, it's different strokes, you know? Um, So we'll see where we end up. But I, I, we need to get opening safely and phased outside areas, especially immediately. I've got no idea why things can't be open in the next few days. Uh, people will be ready to go. Maybe not with food because we've got supply line issues and uh, workplace issues about people working in kitchens and proximity and safety there. But a couple of people or one person behind the bar working by themselves in a pub with an outside, you know, on pavement space or beer garden. Let's get it open. Let's allow people to make their own choices about whether they want to go there or not in the way that they're making their own choices about whether they go to the beach or not, in the way that they're making their own choices about whether they go and sit in the park or not with other people, in the way that they make their own choices about whether they go to the supermarket or not. You know, Let people make their own choices now. We have, no, but we have never been so well informed about something as we are about COVID-19. We are able to make our own choices now. The reason we weren't allowed to make our own choices was because we didn't want to overwhelm the NHS. We've got through that. We've achieved that. You know, what is the reason now we're not being allowed to make our own choices? I, I don't I don't know. Uh, and government needs to tell us or government needs to allow us to a, a gradual, phased, safe reopening before the 4th of July. Why do we need to wait another six, seven weeks, whatever it is? That's crazy. You know, and I've said it a few times, hospitality, we are experts in food safety. We are experts in customer safety. We can be trusted. We've got initiative, innovation. We care about people. We spend our lives looking after people. We might not be NHS or care workers, but we do look after people and we really know what we're doing and we can be trusted with it and they should allow us to get on with it uh, within you know, a reasonable framework, within some phased controls and without the need to you know, demonise salt and pepper pots. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think safety wise, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, we sell a lot of shellfish on on the beach, you know, you look at salmonella, you look at chicken, you look at undercooked pork, you know, every day, we have the you know life and death of our customers in our hands. If we if we don't follow processes, you know, you're putting something in your body, we, we don't talk about this kind of stuff. It's just expected that you trust us yeah. not to poison you, but we could very easily. But of yeah. course, we don't because you know, we, we love our customers and everybody's trained in food hygiene and EHO. We are in many ways, I would have thought next to kind of, you know, care and and and, and uh, the sort of nhs and health you know such a clean environment to operate because we've got to look after your health and your well-being so i, I agree um some trust is required and actually uh, you know we've reopened our takeaway and it's interesting you know takeaways have been able to open all the way through this but our one specifically is on the seafront and it didn't feel right in the fact you would only be on the beach if if you were going out maybe for your hours daily exercise and clearly you couldn't really have a beer or a slice of pizza yeah. if you were exercising but as soon as boris said you know it's okay you can go and sit in the sun we're like well brilliant and not only is it okay but actually encouraged and we're right on the beachfront and we looked at the regs for the kitchen which was you know particularly complicated but actually you know it is two meters where possible and there are some recommendations when it's not possible and it's about you know working in bubbles and it's about you know trying to set up stations so that you're not facing each other but that you're mm-hmm. next to each other we've put little alarms that go off in the kitchen every 25 minutes that insist on a clean down we've got a counter that the public come up to which is cleaned visibly you know in between every single customer you're called forward one at a time and we sanitize each time you're given little buzzers to come back and pick up your food so you don't need to wait in the queue and those are sanitized in between and this isn't because somebody wrote it down and, and regulated it and made it overly onerous we just sat there and used our brain for our specific 
circumstances and said, look, you know, this is the best that we can do. And I do worry sometimes that, uh, yeah, we, we make things more complicated than they need to be with the right intentions. And like you say, and some of the big groups who will be worried about their, you know, their insurance and, and, and their teams and, and being sued, I suppose, maybe need that structure to say, well, look, you know, we did all of this and therefore we're okay. But in, in our sector, you know, most teams often work together 10, 15 years. It's a tight little unit. They want to get yeah. back to work and we don't want to, we don't want to harm them. We've all got kids. We've all got grandparents. You know, we want to look after each other, but yeah, let, let's not make it more complicated than it needs to be. No, you should take a little video of what you do each time you serve a customer. That's fantastic. All those protocols and measures that you make each and speed it up 30 seconds and just say, look, this is what we do as a, as an industry. This is how we do it. You know, I mean, I, I just, I, people don't realize and, you know, we've got to find new ways of communicating clearly, you know, how good we are, how good, how brilliant that is that you're just talking about there. I mean, I, I wouldn't have gone to those lengths, but you know, you then learn from others and think, shit, we better up our game. These guys are kicking ass at sanitizing and cleaning down and, Etc. You know, um, it, and I think you, you're seeing it. Pret, I think Pret have done a great job with their screens, you know, and they've got reopen. And you don't need. It doesn't feel weird or that weird going into a Pret and there's somebody standing behind a Perspex screen. It would feel very weird if you walked into my local boozer and somebody standing behind a Perspex screen. But you know, I think we do what we can where we can, and what we'll do will be absolutely brilliant and innovative, and you know, world leading again you know, like we have been for years. Yeah. And I do think the, the public will decide on what level of risk they're comfortable with. I mean, you know, back in the early days, it, it was seeing those sort of, you know, people sat almost in, in plastic perspex cubes in, in China and everybody was wearing masks. And I looked at that and I was like, my God, I, you know, I would rather not go out for dinner mm. than go and sit in that kind of environment. That's just not hospitality as we do it. But I think that doesn't stop us from doing a lot of things. Like, like you say, with the salt and pepper shakers, you know, why not just clean the salt and pepper shakers in between each service rather than insisting that they're not there? Surely there are there are other ways of doing these things and then like you say communicate it with the public i did see that the government do recommend that you do a sort of covid19 risk assessment for your individual premise and that you publish that premise to your uh, that that risk assessment to your team but also you put it on the website and you show it to your customers and i think as a customer if you went and looked on that and went yeah i'm, I'm happy with that level of risk or level of safety or i'm not different people some people will want to go to a to a chain like a prep because they'll believe they followed the 75 pages of rules and regs and other people will go you know what i want to go and support my local independent pub and i've read what they've done and i'm happy with that and we yeah. do need to give people um yeah the, the responsibility to act like grown-ups i suppose exactly but there is a bit of a concern i think without having read it in great detail that some of these you know, fine for 5,000 employees businesses. We need these rules clearly defined by government so that we can operate and we can say to our 5,000 employees, this is how we've got to do it, guys, you know, are going to be imposed on everybody. And, you know, that's not a good thing. We've got to make sure that you, we can be allowed, you can be allowed to do your thing in the way that's best for your business and your people and, and will work for your customers. We, we've got to allow that room and, I, you know, and, and not be you know, uh, opening the door to all kinds of uh, new rules and regulations. It, it happened in, you know, nightclubs. You know, if there's a stabbing on a council estate near a nightclub, then everyone's all of a sudden got to have metal detectors on the door, you know. It, it's and then, and then they've got to be there forever. And then you've got to have another security guard for this. And you've got to have a, a logbook for that. And, you, you know, it, it, it becomes more, it's more and more layers of unreasonable and in many cases unnecessary cost uh, on, on a business that's not that make it unsustainable and we've just got to do what and people have just got to be left to make their, their own decisions about what the best thing is and and like you say uh, and then the customer will decide you know no agree 100 that that's what terrifies me is that yeah you know again you know well-intentioned people come out of rules you know life happens in the gray areas i'm all for gray area. i think actually you know and it, it depends on your maybe political or, or opinion or perception of risk and i guess as self-employed entrepreneurs you know we're probably not always the best people to ask because we've, we've probably got a slightly higher risk strategy than some people but we're not going to be forcing people to go out but you know i i quite respect what boris has said is look, look it's much easier to regulate when we can just say everybody stay at home but it's much harder to come out with the nuances of what's safe and what's not safe 
safe and what you can do. Yeah. And I do think we're going to have to just rely on people uh, to, to be informed. And as you say, they are informed that, you know, I was chatting to the council a couple of days down here in Bournemouth about reopening the toilets. And there was this debate about, you know, if, if we if we open the toilets on the beach, is that going to encourage people to come to the beach? And is that as a problem? And then the flip side of that debate was, well, people are going to come anyway. And if there's no toilets, that's going to be a huge health problem. And then they looked at, you know, are we going to need to, to man every toilet to insist that only sort of two people come in at a time? And they costed it up and it was going to be £50,000 a week to, to man those toilets. And, and again, I think the you know the, the the business sector on the seafront was saying, look, please give people some common sense. Put some signs up that says only three people allowed in at a time. Draw some lines on the ground that says, mm. you know, don't 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 over encroach these. And then it's uh, it's management by exception rather than treating everybody uh, as an idiot. And that's what we're going to need. Yeah, definitely. Good. All right. Well, look, I've I've taken up. Uh, more time than I was planning. But thanks for that. You know, I found it really useful. I just wanted to get an update. I'm going to uh, not not necessarily relax on the uh, on the rent negotiations, but I'm not going to panic in the next couple of weeks, at least, I suppose, and, and hope there's some sort of solution. I'm, I'm still excited. I've done a couple of podcasts with some guests in Shanghai, actually, which was really interesting because they're obviously about sort of eight weeks ahead of us. And it was interesting to hear the, the sort of level of fear i suppose when they first reopened and the, and the local sort of police were coming in and they were checking there it was a meter there so they were checking there was a meter between tables everybody was being temperature checked every delivery driver every customer every member of staff and it was all having to be logged and it was pretty onerous and even with eight, eight within eight weeks you know there hasn't been uh, a second spike people are becoming more relaxed it's not that they've changed the regulations they're just not enforcing them you know people are using their common sense and, it, and it's not it's not back to normal but it was it was uh i suppose yeah made me a little bit more optimistic to hear that human beings are doing what human beings do and, and are going out and having some drinks so hopefully uh there's a way through this jd but um yep. thanks for sparing the time is there any other particular topic that we've missed that you'd like to go over or are you happy any support i suppose that people can give you send you some cash by the sounds of the cost of, uh, <laughs> of what yeah. it's doing. maybe at some point uh I know I've had some beer sent to me by Camden Town. I was very grateful for that. That didn't a case of beer didn't last long, I have to say, once it once it got cold. And the people at Caravan have sent me some coffee and that's kept me going. And uh no, no, I'm all right. I think uh, you know, I think we'll know a lot more tomorrow, we'll know a lot more next week. We'll have got a lot more next month, hopefully. Uh and uh, you know, I think yeah, we've def- there'll definitely be some kind of s- solution. We just uh, I just hope it's enough for enough people, really. We'll see. Yeah, likewise. All right, thanks, JD. We'll keep in touch. Appreciate your time. All right, no problem. Okay, there you have it. Very much hope you enjoyed our chat. And I am always uh, find it enjoyable catching up with JD and getting his opinion. And he's uh, he's super energised, super motivated, very enthusiastic, you know, really wants to see uh, an industry that he and I, and I know many of you, love succeed. And he wants to help save as many jobs as possible, which I think is great. And he's got some some good ideas and, and he's getting some, uh, yeah, getting to me as some important people in government and helping represent us, which I think is fantastic. So fingers crossed, things will continue continue to develop it's a key time now i think as we look to trying to reopen and what that might look like whether that's going to be economically viable how many jobs we can save how we survive the winter our fresco dining you know all, all sorts of stuff to come out hopefully in the next few weeks and uh, and i'm sure i'll catch up with jd again in the future uh, as well as others around what's going on uh, and what we can hope strategize and plan for um, if you could leave a review on apple podcasts that would be fantastic really helps me out with the algorithms Uh, And don't forget, go to humansofhospitality.co.uk to sign up for our weekly newsletter and support us via our Patreon page. Okay, thanks so much. See you again soon.